Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hey, 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 welcome to With the First Pick, the CBS Sports Info Draft Podcast. This is episode two. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. Uh, and before we get going here, remember, you can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel, get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching With the First Pick. And since we're brand new, it would mean the world to us if you could like the video on YouTube. And if you're watching this live right now, join us in the comments. Or you can leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And before we get going, I want to thank everyone for their, their kind words and comments and tweets and five-star reviews and all that for last week's uh, first episode. I thought it went pretty well. Uh, Rick carried the show, and that's going to be a recurring theme. And uh, Hey, hey, hey. I mean, come on. Can we come up with something better than that? <laughs> Rick, uh, we're, we're in the same age cohort. I'll just say that. Uh, do you know what hey, hey, hey? You know what show that's from? Uh, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. That's close. It's from uh, What's Happening. Remember What's Happening with oh. Raj and Rerun and Dwayne? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Dwayne used to say, hey, hey, hey. used to say, hey, hey, hey. I think he actually did, too. You, you got me out of that. And by the way, Rick, before we get going, uh, a little source tells me that we should wish you a happy birthday. Is that true? Oh, geez, yeah. I hit the uh, the big 6-0 mark on Friday. So, <laughs> Jesus. Debo. Debo's producing, which is fantastic. Rick is actually two years younger than Pete Prisco, and he looks about 20 years younger than Pete Prisco. So <laughs> congratulations to you. Sorry, Pete. Uh, hopefully we'll get Pete on the show soon and we can all yell at each other. But before we get going, so what are we going to cover today? We're going to talk a little news, and there's some breaking news to talk about, starting with Anthony Richardson, the, the Florida quarterback who was declared for the draft. We'll take a look back at conference championship weekend, and Rick and I will talk about some players who uh, draft eligible guys who, who helped themselves, and, and we'll take a look at that. And last week we talked about C.J. Stroud and, and, and Bryce Young, and there's a lot of feedback about that, which was interesting. But we're going to talk about some quarterbacks who aren't named Bryce or C.J. and where they might fall once draft time rolls around. And, and finally, uh, what's already become our favorite segment, Rick's Picks. Last week, Rick, you talked about Justin Jefferson. People loved that segment. It, it was fascinating to get a, a behind-the-curtains peek at, at sort of how you guys in Minnesota ended up with Justin Jefferson. Fans really responded to that. And if they liked that, and you sort of hinted at it last week, this week, we're talking to Adrian Peterson. So that'll be uh, later on in the show, so hang around for that. Yep, yep. And one more note before we get going here. If you're listening to the pod or watching on YouTube later, we just want to note that we're recording this at 2 p.m. Eastern on Monday. So in case more important draft declarations or bowl opt-outs or transfer portal news comes out, we'll have it in next week's episode. All right, Rick, let's get this thing going. Now Is that last announcement CYA just in case something happens? <laughs> yeah. uh, every five minutes, I will be making a CYA announcement just to make sure. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's get going. Happy birthday to Rick. That's fantastic news. That's a great way to start the week. And Rick, you and I have, have talked off, 
a podcast uh, about a lot of these prospects, uh, a lot of the top 150 guys, for example. And you and I have discussed Anthony Richardson. And my take on Anthony Richardson is there are very few people on planet Earth who can do the things he does with the football. He makes throwing the ball 60 yards look incredibly easy. He does things with his legs that very few quarterbacks can do. If you watch the Utah game, you're really excited about what he can do. If you watch virtually any other game, you're very, very concerned if you're a general manager or a head coach who may be seat might be warm, but you desperately need a quarterback and you have to take one in the first round. So what are you thinking if you're one of these GMs or head coaches and you see the news that Anthony Richardson's coming out in a draft class where there are going to be some questions about the top quarterback? Yeah, no, they're probably going to be scrambling this whole offseason to try to figure out what this kid is. And when you watch him on tape, you watch the Utah game, like you mentioned, uh, he looked like, boy, this is a for sure pick. He's a franchise quarterback. We can build with him. And then I went back, just checking my notes here, uh, versus Kentucky, the two interceptions, and even South Florida threw two very poor decisions in uh, interceptions. So I had to go back and look at some later tape on him. So I went and watched him in the last game against Florida State. I watched him in Texas A&M. He was lights out, I thought, and showed some of the things that he showed in the Utah game. And then the Florida State game, he makes two great throws down the field that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. But then he throws a bonehead pick uh, that should have just been thrown away or just use your talent and make what you can with your legs. So there's so much inconsistency with this kid. Everybody can see the upside and how special he can be. But also, you got to wonder what is going through his head in some of this decision-making process. And the other thing that I think is really going to have to get dug into or delved into uh, during this pre-draft process is how much time does he spend, other than on the football field and playing street ball, on truly understanding the position, putting in the time to watch the tape, uh, understanding how to go through progressions, because the things that you're getting away, and I understand it's the SEC and probably the best football uh, in college football right now, but you're not going to be able to get away with a lot of this stuff that you're getting away with in college. So this is a type of prospect that you probably say to yourself in the draft meetings, either this guy is a boomer bust, he either is going to get us a contract extension, or we're going to be out in the street looking for a job in a couple of years. So I don't think I'm going to speak out of school when, when I talk a little bit about our discussions. And we've talked before about sometimes it's hard to find comps for these guys. Uh, my comp, and feel free to uh, free to freak out uh, is I saw a little bit. <laughs> I saw. Should I start laughing now or wait till you actually say a comp? You can laugh throughout and that way we'll have it covered, uh, covered and going. I saw a little bit and you'll know better than me. So the laugh could be well warranted. I saw a little bit of uh, physicality of, of Dante Culpepper and a little bit of, of Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming, not Josh Allen now, but Josh Allen in terms of the, the rawness of uh, the athletic potential, the size the ability to run, and Anthony Richards is probably a, a, a little better athlete than Josh Allen in terms of, of sheer speed. I saw a little bit of that, but you mentioned a, a player that I thought actually was more on point, and that was a stretched-out version of Malik Willis, a guy who can't play right away. You just absolutely cannot put him on the field next year. But as you know, Rick, if you're a, a GM or a head coach who has a warm seat, you ain't going to be there in three years anyway, so you might have to throw him out there just to try to save your job. Yeah, no, uh, when I watched Malik, Leek Willis uh, last year for the draft, he had an incredible arm talent. He makes plays with his leg. But the question was, 
from that offense, similar to the spread offense that he runs, is how quickly can he adapt to the NFL offense to go through his reads, to go through his progressions. Like you put him out there in a preseason game, he's probably going to look like an all-star. But when the game counts and when you saw Malik Willis play this year, you knew he can make uh, plays with his legs and his running ability, but he really struggled from the throwing standpoint, not so much from how he delivers the ball or his, his arm strength, but just getting through the progressions and how what we talked about, Ryan, a couple of times was quarterbacks can be smart, but do they have the mental quickness or the mental capacity to get through those reads and progressions in two and a half seconds or less? And that's something that we really tried to delve into. The mistakes I made at the quarterback position, I always said, God, this guy has to be smart. He has to be, you know, all these things uh, from an intelligence standpoint. But where I usually missed was, okay, this guy can get up there and he can sound like an offensive coordinator. And I think we talked about that earlier in a podcast. But can he make those split second decisions and not turn the ball over and not cost his team a game? So I'll just ask quickly, then I'll, I'll run some other things by you in terms of trying to find these quarterbacks, diamonds in the rough, so to speak. Was there a, a quick and dirty test you could do as a general manager and, and as a staff to to get a sense of how quick the, uh, a quarterback might be? Or is this something that you just almost like rolling the dice? To, to well, try to... I don't know. This That's a new one, a quick and dirty test. What kind of, what, what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> I thought we were just talking about draft. What the heck does quick and the, dirty test mean? The quick and dirty test comes on at 11 p.m. So that's the... Uh... <laughs> No, some of the testing we did was uh, testing their visual awareness and when they see something and it was a time test and how quickly they can react or respond to what they were seeing. So it still wasn't perfect, but we were trying to evolve that way. Even we went as far as using some, um, some film where they actually put the goggles on and excuse my ignorance is when you put goggles on and you play in that virtual world, what's that called? Virtual reality. Okay. Virtual reality. Yeah. Okay. So we actually try to put him in a virtual reality and actually had tape from our practices and they would put those goggles on and they would sit there and go through a seven on seven drill watching our practice, but actually standing where our quarterback was standing in that practice. Mm. And we would be able to see, okay, it's cover two, you know you go to the right on your read here. So we would be able to actually see what he was seeing on a big screen wow. and then see how he reacted to what he was seeing, how the defense, uh, what the defense was showing him. So it was still in the infant stages to say, but we were trying to progress that way to try to predict not only the intelligence, but how quickly he saw things. It's funny you say that because, uh, by the way, we're going to name this podcast Two Old Guys Trying to Figure Out Tech. I think that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> the next show. But when you started as a scout 30 years, uh, you know, first year into your NFL experience, there was no such contraption as virtual reality goggles to, to get an idea of what the quarterback was looking at. You literally had to go, and I would imagine 30 years ago, you know, it was probably VHS tapes or whatever. There was no digital. You're not sending files uh, over. 30 years ago, I, I was carrying a projector into schools. Oh, man. <laughs> what a time and, to be and, alive. Yeah, with with the eight millimeter tape and then uh, fighting with everybody else. And then you had to splice <laughs> the tape because it broke half the time you went through. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a far step back from where we are today <laughs> in the technology today. Oh, crazy. So, 
I've done a few mock drafts this fall, and the first mock draft that came yeah, out. Yeah, they've been really, really, really accurate and on point, boy. How can you make <laughs> mock drafts like this time? Now we can start maybe honing in and focusing because we know some of the strengths and weaknesses and what they're going to be addressing. But in September, you are a lot better than, than anyone in the NFL is on trying to predict what a mock draft would look like. Turns out I'm not, but that's what the people want, Rick. So we, we give the people what they <laughs> give want. Give them what they want. <laughs> give them what they want. But early October, and I want to talk about this, um, just in terms of the, the draft order and maybe get some ideas of what teams are thinking depending on, on how they're doing this year. But I had Anthony Richardson go number two overall to Houston at the time. And then in the yeah. subsequent drafts, I've had him go bottom half of the first round in the 20s to a team like the Buccaneers, which is certainly a little more stable organization recently. If you're a general manager – I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll but I ask you. Let's say you're general manager, like you in Tampa Bay, where things have been relatively stable. Do you want to take a chance and pick twenty to twenty-five and feel okay about it, knowing that he's not going to play right away, Anthony Richardson? Or if you're the Texans, or even the Lions are interesting because they have two first-round picks. I think Jared Goff is going to be the quarterback next year. He's played that well. You could actually sit him in Detroit and maybe look towards the future and, and stock him away. What is the like the what are you looking for as a general manager? Do you want to have the stability of, of, a, of a veteran team or are you willing to roll the dice on this guy if you're a team that won two games this year? Well, I, I think you're going to have to be a little bit more conservative on hoping that you have a guy like to me, uh, a Detroit situation, the way golf was been playing and they threw 40 points up on the Jaguars yesterday uh, and the command he has on the offense. If he went into a situation where a team had a vet quarterback that was in place uh, that they can take time to develop him if he checks out okay through the pre-draft process then maybe that has more value than if you think you're going to bring this kid in on day one and have him be your starter right off the bat yeah okay so that's going to be interesting development to watch uh, part of me thought that maybe Anthony Richardson might think about returning uh, in part because of the NIL money and uh, he needs to grow but you know, I'm not going to begrudge anyone coming out to, to make a, a millions, you know, life-changing money if that's his decision. We'll see how this unfolds. It's going to be incredibly interesting to watch because I love a lot about Anthony Richardson, but as you've pointed out several times, there's a lot to be concerned about. So some other guys that, that have declared for the draft, uh, Will Levis, we'll talk about him later in the show. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. and um, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerbacks for Penn State and Mississippi State, respectively. And Anton Harrison's an offensive tackle from Oklahoma who's probably going to be a, a, a top 75 pick. And I'll mention one other name, Tucker Kraft, the tight end out of South Dakota State. I haven't watched him yet. I don't know if you have yet, Rick, but he's gotten a lot of top 75 buzz a, as a tight end. But I, I'll ask quickly, and then we'll move on uh, to some other names here. Joey Porter and Emmanuel Forbes, you like both those guys for different reasons, right? Yeah, well, I like them for the same reason. They're pretty good <laughs> defensive backs. <laughs> pretty good corners. <laughs> Two different styles, but they're both, uh, I yeah. think, are pretty good corners. So, yeah, I do like them for the same reason, as you were saying. Uh, uh, Joey Porter is uh, – I got a chance to watch him earlier in the season. I wanted to go back and watch late tape on him. I saw him a little bit against Ohio State because that was a big matchup against Harrison. But he is a long, athletic corner that is physical. And this is one of the more physical corners uh, in the draft that will run support, but also has, for a big corner, the movement skills, the playman coverage. He has the speed, and he has the awareness in zone coverage. And Forbes, on the other hand, is as thin as a beanpole. Uh, And he is... uh, Probably going to get dinged because I don't know if he's going to weigh a buck seventy-five or a, a, at least 
under 180 pounds. I had an opportunity to see him play live uh, versus Alabama. And I watched a lot of tape on him before I went down and saw him play. And the one thing that really stuck out to me, I understand uh, that he is a, a skinny and he needs to add strength, but he can run and he has maybe the most unique ball skills that I've seen out of mm. any corner in this year's draft. So I don't know if he's going to get mentioned up there with some of the other corners we'll be talking about, uh, but I do think this kid has a chance. And he reminded me a little bit of when I was in Miami, uh, there was a real skinny corner that ended up being a pretty good player in Sam Madison. No, absolutely. Sam Madison was a, a fantastic player. And there's my latest mock draft there. The Steelers love taking uh, – relatives of current players so joey porter jr to the steelers uh on some level makes some sense and, and that actually leads me to, to my next point rick uh olaf Ashanu, my number one offensive tackle in this draft class he won't turn 20 for a couple of days i think he's only 19 one year started at penn state you and i talked about him before and, and a special player um are you at all surprised that that he returned and i'm sure uh you know he he knew where he was probably headed in terms of the nfl draft but he decided to go back for one more year yeah, that was an interesting decision. Now, I'm sure that the NIL monies uh, made that decision a little bit easier. I'm sure that they put on a pretty significant insurance policy in case he does get injured next year for coming back. So that's weighing in the uh, that's those are some weighing factors on why some of these kids may opt to come back to school instead of come out for the draft. But I thought this kid may not be the most polished offensive tackle right now, but had probably the highest upside out of any offensive tackle uh, in this year's draft. By him going back and playing another year, uh, he may work himself into the first non-quarterback taken in the 2024 draft, which, uh, which is going to be even significantly more money than potentially where he was going to get drafted at this time. So I could see that potential of why he would want to come back because I think he is going to be a dominant left tackle in this league. And yes, okay. when he's done, he'll be 21, and then he can go out with the boys Tuesday <laughs> nights. <laughs> so it's a win-win. Um, some other news, and then we'll, we'll move on. We'll take a quick break, and, and then we'll, we'll get into the rest of the show. But some other news, uh, let's see here. Michael Penix, quarterback out of Washington. Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback out of Miami. They're both returning to school and in turn, smart in terms decisions, of, very smart decisions. I think you're exactly right. Um, you and I talked about Tyler Van Dyke and I, I think going back to school, we agreed on, I, I talked to some scouts that, that actually like Michael Penix is an interesting prospect, but I think going back is smart for him. And in terms of transfer portal news, DJ Ungalale out of Clemson, Brennan Armstrong out of UVA, Devin Leary out of NC state and Phil Jerkovic out of BC are all in the portal. Debo reports that Jerkovic is going to pit. So he's going to replace Keaton Slovis there. Uh, I'll just ask quickly about a player like Jerkovic. He started at Notre Dame, was at BC, and now is headed for his last year at Pitt. If you're uh, an NFL team, do you? it feels like someone who can only keep a job for six months when you look at the resume. Is there any concern of that, or is this just a situation of him trying to maximize his opportunities? I think it's a little bit of a gun for hire, you know, right. uh, because when you have, uh, would that be his third school that he transferred to? That is a little bit of a red flag. Why couldn't he succeed at the other places? Did he right. get beat out? Was he afraid of competition? Uh, or was he just not developing? And then are, is he going to blame the coaches because he wasn't developing? So there's a lot of red flags when you got guys that actually were starters at the school. And I don't think he started at Notre Dame, but I'm sure he was in uh, the quarterback competition there. But Notre Dame does isn't any great shakes at quarterback. I don't see any top 10 pick coming out of there at that position. 
And then BC had a great receiver up there in Zay Flowers. Uh, he struggled up there, whether it was a lack of talent, whether it was just him not producing in that offense, uh, but he has a long way to go too. So uh, those are some of the red flags. Uh, and if you ever get, and when NFL teams get in front of a kid like this, those are definitely going to be some questions that will be asked. Uh, Debo points out that uh, Jerkovitz headed to Pitt to reunite with his, his former offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti Jr. So maybe that has something, something to do with it. But I, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. He's still going to have to answer some questions once we get to that point in his journey. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk a little conference championship weekend. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, Rick. You and I had the great pleasure of being on a text thread with our buddy Pete Prisco on Saturday, who was calling you out for not knowing football nearly as well as he did <laughs> as we were watching the Kansas State uh, TCU game. And if you yeah. want, we, we can start there. If you want to start with, uh, you mentioned Felix uh, Adedike Uzama as someone you'd like to talk about, the edge rusher for Kansas City State number 91. Uh, I think everyone that we're going to talk about probably helped themselves. I'm interested in what you think about Anadike Uzama because he's only 20. He's incredibly strong. He's not particularly twitchy or bendy, I thought, but he has a, a oh, high. Oh, what, what, oh, whoa, 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 oh, whoa. Here we whoa. go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Twitchy what we got? Bendy. Did you see the guy come off the edge and dip the, and, and make a sack in that game? Watch the quarterback the didn't step up, though. Okay. Well, if you go through the season and you watch this guy come off the edge, this guy has first step quickness. Okay. He has enough bend. He is like, I don't want to call him, uh, he's a little bit out of control. So the term that I would kind of describe him as is maybe a, 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 a blind dog in a butcher shop every okay. once in a while when you see the, the style he plays. Uh, but he's long, he's athletic, he can run, he plays a 1,000 miles an hour, stuff that you can't teach. What you can teach is some of the technical issues that he has. Uh, but when I watched him in the uh, bowl or in this past game against uh, the run, he plays stout at the point. He can play with leverage and, and strength. He's able to get off blocks. He's able to locate the ball carrier. He's a solid tackler. And he even had a couple quarterback pressures when they slid him inside and ran in on some games. So I think this kid, defensive line coaches in the NFL, now people may not recognize his name at this point. But this is going to be a riser through this draft process, and this kid has a chance to be a, a pretty good NFL defensive end. I agree with and all no, that. No, he's not stiff. No, I don't think he's stiff, but I don't think he's oily-hipped. Is that something that scouts say? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, something someone in the media would say that no one would understand what the heck you're talking about. There you go. But, Debo uh, might say that. Debo, yeah. you have oily hips? That's something I never Debo, heard that. Debo says that at the club. Uh, but – you, you make a good point. Like he he faced a lot of double teams in that game and throughout the season, and he's very stout against double teams. I like him, and I think he's going to get better because he's young. I, I don't like I don't love him. And when you say you like someone, that doesn't necessarily mean you're taking him top fifteen either. And that's something that I think folks in the media and fans get confused about. You can like a guy that ends up going on day two at some point. Um, although I would imagine the fact that he that he's young makes you feel even better about his prospects down the road. 
Yeah, and I'm not creating a monster out of this guy, and right. I don't want to put this, but some of the same traits, and if he, especially if he's going to run 4-6 or better uh, when he gets timed in this uh, pre-draft process and goes through these workouts, which I think he's going to be able to, uh, there's a little bit of Danelle Hunter in this kid as well. Oh, Danielle's so, a little longer though, right? Uh, he may be a little longer, but the uh, similar motor, similar yeah. way that they move, plays with the energy. And then uh, 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 Coach Patterson, Dre Patterson, who was our defensive line coach, who I think is one of the best in the NFL that I've ever been around, took a guy that was a mold of clay and shaped him into a pretty good pass rusher. And I think a lot of defensive line coaches are going to be really uh, licking their chops to get a hold of this kid and coach him up. Yeah, and that goes back to what we talked about last week with Brian Brze, the the interior defensive lineman at Clemson, uh, who you can't find guys that look like that, even though he's not necessarily flashing. And I think you're right. Anadike Uzama has actually flashed this year. And going back to last year, Drake Jackson, the name I mentioned last week, who didn't set the world on fire at USC, but I had several scouts tell me, you look at that body, an NFL defensive coach like, well, we can work with that. And he's actually played... Uh, pretty well so far this year. Uh, all right, let's let's go to another game. I don't want to talk about Julia, Julius Brents just yet. We'll talk about him later. Oh, okay. All right. There's a there's a pet cat that uh, I'd like to talk about a little bit. But go all right, ahead. let's talk about let's talk about Julius Brents. The tie, the uh, this cornerback number twenty three. He's six three and maybe taller. I thought he had a pretty good game against Quentin Johnston. And you know you I, you got on me about saying. Um, <laughs> Tight-hipped <laughs> and a DK Uzama. You're not a fan. But before you go, let me just say. I, I'm I, not saying I'm not a fan. I, I'm sitting here looking through a couple of my notes. But as long as he doesn't have to play against Quentin Johnson in the NFL, he'll be fine. He only lost Quentin Johnson on one play. Quentin Johnson then made that that acrobatic contested catch early in the game. and He lost him on a scramble drill once. But I think his future yeah, might be. but are be... you forgetting all the DPIs that he had, the dropped interception? He made one interception he, he on a really him. poor uh, poorly thrown ball uh, yeah. that was underthrown, but uh, you watch this game and then you watch the game where uh, where Quentin Johnson just blew past him uh, in the regular season game when they matched up against each other. Now I think this kid's going to be intriguing because he's six four. I he's got big man movement skills, what I describe, uh, but he can. He's going to be effective if you're going to play him in press. I think he's going to run well enough. Just don't ask him to play off in mirror and coverage because that's where his feet kind of get tangled up and he's a little, uh, I don't want to call him whatever you refer to, oily hip. I think he's a little <laughs> you gangly can use that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in his movements. Uh, yeah. But it was fun. It was. I, I, that was one of the matchups that I was excited to see because I've watched it in a regular season. And uh, it was a fun matchup to watch again in, uh, in, in the uh, Big 12 championship game. So trying to project him going forward, and I, I, I put this in my notes, I wondered, is this a situation where he's not going to, you know, he, he's not going to be able to, to hang with, with smaller, quicker receivers who happen to be on the outside or whatever, and he plays primarily outside. Is this something where you might think about finding a hybrid role for him or maybe put him in safety or maybe having him closer to the boxes? He'll hit you in the run game. Look, he's not afraid to tackle. Oh, well, 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 yeah. I mean, hits a relative. I mean, it's it's – your hit and my hit may mean two different things. So. <laughs> I liked him against the run. You didn't like him against that's the run. What's so, that's why scouting is so subjective. I mean, you may think Absolutely. this guy is a hitter, and I was like, this guy wouldn't hit out of a, himself out of a paper bag. You think so? so? No, I think this guy is willing enough, but yeah. for a 6'4 guy, 
Uh, the one thing that I would say I would have issues with if you do move him to safety is when he has to break down in space versus a running back. Uh, God forbid he had a, he has to go against Gibbs against Alabama in, oh, in open yes. air. Right. Okay. He's going to really struggle to what I refer to as come to balance in open field. So he's just going to have to take his shot and try to run through the guy because mm -hmm. as soon as he starts to gather, those running backs at this level are going to run right around him. So Debo points out uh, in our little chat here that Israel uh, Mukuama out of South Carolina a few years ago is currently the tallest cornerback in the league. He played alongside J.C. Horn. I think he was a day three pick for the Cowboys. I don't think he's as good as Julius Prince in terms of NFL projectability. Uh, do you have an idea? Uh, like, would you be interested in a player like Brent's? Like, I I thought he might be like a, a late day two, early day three guy. Is that too rich? Yeah, for you? no. I I think if he runs well enough at that size, someone's going to uh, I don't want to call overdraft him, but say, hey, he uh, he he performs at the combine and and he he runs goes goes through uh, all the pre draft workouts. Uh, someone's going to fall in love because it's rare to find a corner mm -hmm. with that type of size to match up with big receivers that he's going to have to face. He's just going to have to get a little better making plays on balls and air, uh, you know, finding the ball like he missed the ball. It was a great throw and catch, though, in that in that championship game. You know, but even when he's looking for the ball, there were two DPIs in this past game, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that he's running into the receiver and not trying to find the ball in the air because one of the Critical parts about being a corner when you're evaluating corners, uh, and there is a little corner in here that's my favorite player, of, uh, football player uh, uh, that we'll talk about hopefully, uh, but you have to be able to find the ball and make plays on balls in air because you can be in position, but if you can't find the ball, it's a completion, and then what good are you? Exactly. All right, let's talk about that corner now. I'm assuming we're going to Utah? Yeah. Oh, geez. I didn't know that. Let's, let's go to Utah. Talk about Clark Phillips III. Uh, Utah played uh, USC and uh, the Jordan Addisons. And Jordan finished with five catches, 65 yards. You and I both are, are, are big Jordan Addison fans. He's undersized. Did you uh, give me a comparison on Jordan Addison? I think I threw my uh, Devontae Smith out there, but you didn't see like I gave like you were... one last week. Oh, I said, were... I said Josh Downs. You got angry because they don't play the same position. Oh, I just, God. Yeah, I just, no, yeah. I'm in the same <laughs> size. They're similar height and weight. No, wrong, wrong comparison. You think, but you mentioned that, that Jordan's actually it's going to be smaller than Josh Downs. Uh, I'll get back on the Jordan Addison comparison, but let's talk about Clark Phillips because I thought he had a pretty good game. Yeah, he had a he, he is one of the most competitive little corners that I've seen <laughs> in college football. Now he's going to get knocked on because of his size, but you talk about a guy that can mirror in coverage, a guy that is quick twitched out of his transition as he works in his pedal and reacts to routes back underneath. You talk about a kid that will come up and hit you. I mean, he had made a great play uh, when Addison was running a slant route. Uh, he cut right into that slant route and had a PBU in the uh, end zone. This kid's a very good football player. Some people may consider him as a Nick only just because he lacks the ideal size. Uh, but I think this kid, if he was in your guy – uh, Julius Brent's body, this guy would be a top five pick because I think he's one of the most complete football players that I've seen uh, on the tape this year at the corner position. He's just small. So I'm going to throw a comp out here and feel free to, to dunk on me. Asante Samuel Jr. was small coming out of Florida State. Oh, my God. Asante Samuel Jr. can't run like this kid. That was what Asante Samuel Jr.'s issue was. And but he's he was more small. of a zone corner. Huh? 
Small, though. Yeah, okay, but well, when you're making your comparisons, just note to self, if you want to take a little note there, it's not just size. <laughs> Actually, look at the tape and see if they have the same type of quickness, uh, the same type of speed. Will they come up and hit the same way? There's <laughs> other things. Just, oh, hey, let's put him in a little small category. Well, I was trying to think of the top of my head someone who was small coming out and, and who's actually who's been okay in, in the NFL. Um, by the way, did, is this how you talk to the scouts in, in, in meetings? Like you just went off on them if they said something stupid? No, no, just you. <laughs> Fair enough. I love it. All right. I actually like Clark Phillips as well. I, I think he, I, like, I liked him as, as like a, a, a day two guy, early day two guy. And as you mentioned, if he were six one, we wouldn't even be talking about any of the, the, the size issues because I, I think he is an absolute, a really good football player. No thoughts? That's- yeah, yeah, you're just regurgitating everything I just said. You need but, uh, to come up with your own thoughts. Early, early day you two. You don't like, yeah, Asante Samuel Jr. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Have you ever, you ever seen a grown man cry, Rick? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, Pete. On Sundays when I'm watching games with him. <laughs> okay, let's go to the other side. You talk about Clark um, and, and the game he played. Anything changed about Jordan Addison? Because Jordan Addison has, has been dominant for much of the season for USC after transferring from Pitt. Uh, he's still the same guy to me. I, I mean, he can't do everything. Caleb Williams is going to be special for sure. But I, I thought nothing changed with me in terms of how I felt about Jordan Addison. No, no. He can play uh, He can play inside as a slot. I think he's fast enough and long enough to play outside because of his quickness. And I think he has unique speed. I think he's going to run very well. And, you know, just like we're seeing this skinny guy – up in Philadelphia, who went in the first round, uh, uh, Smith, the uh, Devontae Smith. I think uh, you're going to see the same type of results with uh, with Jordan Addison. By the way, uh, little birdie just told me that uh, Asante ran a four four nine. So in Rick's role, that's slow. I'm making a note of that too, Rick. Who who ran a four four nine? Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah, that's a that's a slow forty for a corner, <laughs> small <Yeah>. corner. <laughs> Get out of here! All right, let's talk about a big corner. We talked about uh, Julius Brents. Let's talk about the corner for for Georgia, who uh, currently is a lot of folks in the media. Their cornerback one, Keely Ringo, and he's been going uh, among the first cornerbacks off the board when I do these mock drafts. I had him going sixth, which seems sort of high for <laughs> cornerback. <laughs> catch a breath there to the Eagles in my most recent mock draft. So let's talk about Keely Ringo in, in the battle. And you actually tweeted this to Pete and I with uh, Keyshawn Boudet, who finally showed up. He, he had a good game. So let's talk about those two players. What, what are your thoughts after the conference championship game in which Georgia, you know, rolled LSU? Yeah, Ringo's a very good football player. And he may be, be the most complete corner. I think, uh, Ryan, if it was you I was talking to, I'm not sure that we were trying to make some comparisons because he's almost 6'2". Uh, he's going to probably be 200 plus pounds. I think he runs well enough. Um, you know, he uh, had three probably bad plays uh, in that uh, championship game. Uh, watching him, he, he had a PBU, but he also had a, a, a defensive pass interference. He can mirror and man coverage, but when he is off and those receivers get on top of him, he has a tendency to get back on his heels. And then he is kind of slow to transition. Or that's where you see the initial separation from the receiver uh, in him when he's playing man coverage. But he's long. He's athletic. He can run. I think he tackles well enough. He had a missed open field tackle in the LSU game. We made some comparisons of uh, uh, a Xavier Rhodes type. I think this guy may be a little bit smoother as an athlete, uh, but I don't think he is as physical as Xavier Rhodes was when Xavier came out. Right. Yep. I remember you saying that. So um, let me ask you this. 
so someone like Keely Ringo, your team of the top 10 that, that needs a cornerback pretty bad. And you say you need a couple other positions as well. Are, are you comfortable taking a cornerback like Keely Ringo in the top 10? Or are you focused on other things and maybe circle back around given the depth I, in this class? Yeah, I think it's what the depth of the position is. You're always going to look at that. If we don't, if we definitely need a corner and we don't take a swing at one here, are we able to uh, come back around on Friday and get another corner that we like? Uh, but if this is your top corner and this is a guy you think has separated himself from every other corner in this draft, which I don't think he has, uh, because I honestly think Joey Porter's right up there with him. Um, yep. the, the, the you know when you compare the two, I think they will travel together through this process, and they'll be jockeying for position on probably which corner is going to go first in the draft. Um, but if you need a corner, just because of his size and his athleticism, uh, that he'll definitely be in uh, conversation. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and you can answer it however you like. So we talked about these two big corners, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, and, and Keely Ringo, and let's go back a few years to Patrick Sertan and uh, J.C. Horn. Are mm. they are the the kids in this class similar to to those two, or are those two better players? Uh, I think those two may have a little better ball skills. I think they were more productive with the ball in the air. I'm anxious to see what Ringo actually runs because a couple of times. Uh, getting out of his turn, uh, he got stretched down the field, and he was in catch-up mode. Now, he's a long strider, so it's going to take him some time, but I think the longer the play is extended, then you can see his speed kind of kick in. Um, but I'm anxious to see what these guys run because I thought those, uh, you know, the, the two guys that you just mentioned uh, were, were ready-made corners to come in and start day one. I think these guys will be that. I just want to kind of – hold off right now till I see what they actually end up running. And last year, two other corners that went high in the draft, Sauce Gardner and, and Derek Stingley. Sauce I think was in a whole different category. Now, you talk about a 6'2", 6'3", corner. If you're trying to compare him to your guy, Brents, from <laughs> – <laughs> then maybe Jeez. we ought to talk about the NBA uh, mock draft because there is no comparison. Sauce was a – he was in a different universe from everybody else watching him last year. And yet, Derek Stingley went – First, I remember finding out a few days before the draft that the Texans really loved Derek Stingley, and I loved Derek Stingley too, but it felt like Sauce Gardner. When you saw him walking through the, the uh, Indianapolis Convention Center at the Combine, he he was so long, he looked like he was a, like an undersized defensive end, like some of those 230 defensive ends you see walking around these days. But is he one of the, the most freakishly athletic? Yeah. Yeah, and I've got, yeah, I went there. I, I, I uh, had an opportunity to see him play live, and when I saw him – when I first went out there and him warming up and you said, you, you mentioned it, the frame is just unique. And then all of a sudden you see this guy. And, and a lot of times when scouts go to these games and they go to college games and I can watch the tape, but I really get a sense and a feel for a guy when you actually see him and see him moving in pregame warmups mm. and sauce for a kid that was six, two, six, three, whatever his height ended up being. I've never seen a guy that tall, that can drop his weight, drop his hips, and get into and out of his transition. And that was just watching him uh, in pregame. Uh, so I knew that there was something special about this kid. And you just, watch, you know, sitting there and watching this guy, and there's just something, an aura or a sense about the kid that you know that he knows he's the man. So you're standing there with all your all the people you've known 
throughout the league for for years. And can you get a sense that everyone's feeling the exact same thing you are, but you don't want to look at them because you don't want to give anything away? No, I told him this is the biggest stiff I've ever seen play corner. <laughs> Good luck if you take him. <laughs> he probably did say that. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the uh, the other side of the field. Uh, Kayshawn Boudet, who had uh, six catches for 107 yards, had a, had a nice touchdown on, on a little yak play there. And you've said it before, like it's been hard to get a gauge on who he is because he doesn't have Joe Burrow throwing him the ball at LSU. The quarterback situation was sort of in flux, and, and, and Jane Daniels got better as the season went on, had an ankle injury in this game. But what did you see from him that perhaps you didn't see earlier in the year? Uh, I seen a little bit better. The one thing that really stuck out was on that, that uh, run is that you saw – his athleticism and his ability to pull away from defenders. And he's pulling away from some pretty fast dudes over on the uh, Bulldog side. And every time you watch offense, especially in the SEC, most teams and most scouts, the first tape they're going to put on is how did they do against Georgia? Because Georgia has probably the most dominant uh, defense over the past couple of years in college football. So you're going to say this is going to be the closest comparison we can make to potentially an, an NFL defense because of all the dudes that they have on the defensive side of the ball. What I don't like about him is I don't think he is very competitive when the ball is not in his hands. A few times he has some bobbles because he prefers to catch in tight, but then you watch another play and he sit there and just snatch the ball mm -hmm. and he has natural uh, snatch and pluck hands uh, and just plucks the ball right out of the air. I went back and watched the 21 tape. I think he only played in six games. And you saw him play outside. You saw him play inside. Here, this year, the only thing you did was see him play in the slot. And it was a totally different system. He does a lot of these what we call spacing routes where they go out five yards and just kind of find spacing between the zones. Um, sometimes he caught the ball. There's a couple bobbles. He just did not look like he was totally into it every snap where when you watch Justin Jefferson, you watch Jamar Chase, mm. those guys were just going you know, and, and, and playing every down. I had issues. I didn't think this kid was playing hard every down. And whether he was disgruntled because he wasn't getting a lot of targets, I don't know. But those are the things that if I was going to interview him uh, at the Combine or interview him in this pre-draft process, I would have found out, why are you not – don't look as competitive when the ball is not in your hands? Why aren't you screaming off the line of scrimmage every time you run routes? You have the ability to do that, yet you don't show it down in and down out. And sometimes – and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rick, but sometimes that's how the offense is. Like sometimes they tell the receivers if you're not targeted, just, you know, half-ass it out there. And have you gotten that that's, response as well before? Yeah, no, that was like when we watched kids from Baylor – yeah. Okay, if you're going to run vertical routes all the time, well, if it's going to the right and you're the left outside guy, take the play off because you just ran 52 40-yard dashes in the game. <laughs> right. So sometimes uh, with these spread offenses, coaches will tell that's, you know, and, and we talk to the coaches about that. We talk to the players about mm -hmm. that. And the coaches will tell them, okay, we have this guy running and we're going so fast and trying to get so many plays in uh, that when they do, that's the chance they can get to catch their breath. This right. guy's playing in the slot, so that's different. And he's playing, uh, he's doing a lot of underneath type routes. Uh, and that's where I had an issue with him is because he's not humming off the ball, even if he's running a five to 10 yard route. Okay. And a guy who never takes a playoff and he's, uh, I think it's his sixth year, started at Buffalo, transferred to Iowa, left Iowa last year, came to Purdue and has been, you know, 
the offense at Purdue, and that's my guy Charlie Jones. Athleticism. Guy, I mean, you've been talking about him since September. I thought this guy was a top overall pick in the draft. The way you talk about this kid, the athleticism isn't there. The want to is there. I think he has great hands. He makes a ton of contested catches, and that's in part because he struggles to get open. But I think because he can't run. <laughs> but is there a place for him on Rick Spielman's team? Yeah, because he's a really good football player. Uh, I was. Who would you compare him to? I'm kind of curious to if you I have. Think, I think he's. I think he's not as athletic as Hunter Renfro. Um, Hunter played different position. Don't get. Don't start with me. <laughs> Hunter played mostly inside, <laughs> but Charlie plays outside, and Charlie plays some inside too. Uh, but he's taller than Hunter, and I don't like. I don't know a player who's lacks that foot speed but does those things well. I, I don't know. It, it's hard to, to figure out a guy who who might fit that 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 bill. Well, this kid reminded me a little bit of a kid we took in the later rounds uh, from Colorado State a few years ago. Unfortunately, he blew out his ACL. There's a kid from Colorado State named B.C. Johnson who couldn't run, mm. but he could run okay. But he had just so natural at route running. I mean, there wasn't any wasted motion. Uh, he can separate because of his savvy, not because of his natural physical skills. Uh, he caught everything. He had a couple of games when BC played for us before he got hurt that he really was productive for us. But I think his ceiling is just so low. I think what you see is what you're going to get with this kid. But this kid is a good football player, and he's probably going to find himself on an NFL roster. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was talking to a, a scout about him, and the, the question was, can he play special teams? Because if you're going to be a, a number four wide receiver, which is what he's going to be, you have to be able to do more. He returns kicks and punts, but I mean, in terms of, of, of being on the coverage, yes, and being on the coverage teams, can you do that? Because I don't think you want him back there returning kicks and punts by the shaking of your head sideways. And if you can't do that, and I'm sure these are the conversations you guys have uh, numerous times leading up to the draft, then where does he fit? Because you can't just be number four receiver and not contribute at all to special teams. And maybe he's a number three best case scenario in three or four years or something. But, you know, based on the, the physical attributes, it's just not there. But you love the way that he plays the game. You love his ability to catch the football. But if he's not getting open in college in the Big Ten, he ain't getting open in the NFL. Does that sound about right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and you love the way, like you just said, the way the kid competes. And on the biggest national stage that Purdue played on this year, he actually jumped and uh, jumped out on the tape when you watched it. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the as other. As long as they play zone, don't play. <laughs> he is great at finding holes in zones. That that, yes. that is his go-to. Zone so, specialist. <laughs> hey, someone's got to do it, right? All right, let's talk about some of the other quarterbacks, Rick. We, we spent some time talking about Anthony Richardson at the top of the show. We're not going to talk about all these guys because we're up against it. We got to get to the favorite segment, Rick's picks. So let's talk about. Will Levis, who by any Ooh. measure had a forgettable season at Kentucky, he's declared for the draft. He's coming out in September. I talked to teams that had him, loved him and Anthony Richardson more than anyone else in this draft class. And I had a conversation last week with, with uh, someone in the league that said, "How many Bryce Youngs do you see in the NFL? Zero. Yeah. How many? How many Will Levises do you see in the NFL? Uh, a lot. And that that just starts with the body type, right? The the physical." Uh, appearance, the arm strength, he moves pretty well when he's healthy. So I'll ask you a tough question first, and then you can go into to what you feel about Will Levis in general. Let's say you have the 15th pick. Your team won eight games last year, and you have a veteran like Jared Goff, for example, for another year or two. Are you taking Will Levis, or are you taking Anthony Richardson? Ooh, I'm going to take Will Levis. I like Will Levis. All I right, think. give me the spiel. 
I think, um, you know, there's the comparisons out there of the Josh Allens of the world. Uh, you know, not I think he's a better athlete, but when you see, and I haven't seen him throw live, uh, but just w- watch it on tape. And then I remember way back that way back in the day, I was at Matthew Stafford's mm. uh, Stafford's workout, and the ball just came humming off of his hand. <laughs> and I think this kid's going to have that same type of velocity. Uh, but he had no help w- around him. I mean, he played with a toe. I, I mean, he had every body part. Uh, hurt this year. I, I can't remember what game it was, but they showed his finger on a throwing hand, yeah. pointed out to the side. He popped it back in, came back in play. So you know the kid's tough. You just have to really delve into why did you take a step back? Was it because it was the new offensive coordinator who they ended up firing after the season? Or was it because of lack of talent around you? Even some of – I watched the Tennessee game, mm-hmm. and he had, I believe, two or three interceptions that game. and what he does is like the one interception was a deflection off the receiver's hands. The other one, he puts the ball in place for a receiver to make plays, but he just doesn't have any receivers to go make those plays where in the NFL, you're going to have someone that can go up and in contested situation, win some of those 50, 50 balls. And he didn't have that this year. Does he have growing to do? Yeah. Does he make some poor decision? Yeah. Did he look as good as he did last year? No, he did it. But those are the things you're really going to get into an interview with him and ask him why. And you want to hear what his, are they excuses or what is his reasoning why he didn't play as well as he did last year. And last year there were some holes in him too. And everybody thought that they would take a huge jump up. The other thing that was interesting uh, talking to some people is that, is his accuracy good enough? Mm-hmm. And that was the same question that they had on Josh Allen when he came out. But since Josh Allen became, you know, I don't know, and, and I'm going to ask your opinion this, is accuracy coachable or is it just a natural instinct that you have or you don't have? It feels like Josh Allen is the exception. He's not the rule. Because typically when you see kids come out who struggle with accuracy, they don't magically get fixed. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it, and you would know better than I would, Josh Allen was asked to do everything at Wyoming. And as, as Pete likes to say, he was playing with bouncers and bartenders. None of those kids were getting drafted. <laughs> and he, he had to do heavy lifting. Pete was the original member of the Josh Allen fan club. So I think Josh Allen is, is an interesting case because he is so different. And some of that probably has to do with Sean McDermott. Some of that probably has to do with Brian Dable and being in the right system. And by the way, he went to Buffalo. He didn't go to a team that won one game the last five years. So it wasn't like the culture was a complete and utter mess when he arrived. And I think all those things are important. Uh, Debo just put up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. I had him going to the Colts, who until recently were a very stable organization. And you feel like maybe that could be a landing spot. They obviously have a history of of cultivating these these young quarterbacks. But I don't know. I don't know, man. Like if like I feel much more comfortable with with Bryce Young's accuracy not changing as opposed to Will Levis suddenly, you know, figuring it out. But to your point, who was blocking for him in Kentucky? Nobody. Who was he throwing to? Nobody. Was he healthy? No. So those are the things that you have to sort through when you're going through this process. And, and you got to remember, Josh Allen wasn't Josh Allen that we see today. His first two years in the league, absolutely. Either. That's right. And it, it finally clicked. And I think that's what. Is that something that you sort of, as a GM, you're like, okay, it happened there. We can, we can, our coaching, we can figure out how to make that happen here with this player who checks eight boxes, but the two other boxes we have questions about. 
Yeah, well, it, from the uh, personnel side of it, you're going to go into these draft meetings and you're going to talk about all the strengths and weaknesses. And then when you bring your coaching staff in, you're going to ask them the same things. But the scouts don't have to coach this guy. The quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator have to coach this guy. So they have to get around this kid as much as they can during this pre-draft process. And they're going to have to tell you, hey, I've been around this kid. I've watched him work out. We've worked with him in a private workout. I know I can get this kid ready to go. And I think that he can be the franchise quarterback that we need here. Have you ever drafted a quarterback that the, the coach or the OC or the QB coach wasn't crazy about, but you thought it was in the best interest of the team? No, most of the time I would only make a decision if we were all on the same page. Now I uh -huh. made mistakes, and that's those my that's my responsibility. But usually we try to get everybody on the same page. That makes sense. All right, next week when we get back, we'll talk about more of these quarterbacks we couldn't get to this week. Kenneth Hooker, Tanner McKee, Bo Nix. My guy Bo Nix, by the way, Rick. Oh my so God. I can't wait for that conversation. <laughs> But now it's time for our favorite segment, a little segment we like to call Rick's Picks. Last week, we talked about Justin Jefferson. Fantastic conversation. If you didn't hear or see that, you can check that out on the Pick 6 YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcast and hear Rick talk about that. Great responses uh, from folks that were um, had nothing but nice things to say about you. I'm not even kidding. Like People, oh, <laughs> people love them to Rick Spielman. This week, if you thought JJ was something, we're going with way back, Adrian Peterson back in 2007. Um, what pick was he? He was a top five pick or top 10 pick? No, he was, uh, I think we took him maybe ninth. That ninth, year, okay. All right. I well, believe. give us give us the lowdown. This so heading, was the, uh, heading yeah. into the draft at Oklahoma. What what was the process? Because this was the time back when you could take running backs in the top 10 and it was a different, the way the offenses were different, the, the thinking about running backs were different. So what were you guys in that fall? What was your experience watching Adrian Peterson absolutely demolish folks? Yeah, this the, the, we felt that when uh, you watched Adrian Peterson at Oklahoma, that he may be one of those generational-type running backs. Um, just how big he was, how fast he was, how strong he was. Um, but this was – this. I'll, I'll go into the story here a little bit. This is where all these smoke screens that you hear before the draft, and I'll, <laughs> I'll explain why – Things happen and why guys may fall or may not fall. Who knows? We just got very lucky that he fell to us. So uh, as we were going through the pre-draft process, and it was my first draft with the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in a draft room. We know that we definitely want Adrian Peterson. So um, sitting with the Wilf family right next to me, staring at me, we need Adrian <laughs> Peterson. So I said, okay. So I was like, okay, this first draft, this is going to go great. I may be, I may be back in the media right after this draft in 2008. So uh, we're going through the pre-draft process. There was a lot of things that came out about Adrian and his collarbone. Some right. said that you needed that he needed to get surgery. He had to have a plate on it. Others were okay with it. Uh, somehow it leaked out that he went on some visits and some physicals and some doctors were saying he definitely needs a plate and surgery. Um, that year we had Chester Taylor. Uh, yeah. and Chester Taylor had rushed for over a thousand yards. So people didn't think that we really needed a running back. We did look at, we were really kind of honed in on some defensive backs. We were honed in on safeties because we needed a safety. Uh, we looked at some offensive linemen as well. 
So as we're sitting there in that draft, uh, we're picking number five, number six. I thought the first opportunity he had a chance to go in that draft was, I believe, to Arizona. Arizona had the number five pick. They took Levi Brown. They took Levi Brown. Okay, the offensive tackle, Penn State. So the ownership's looking at me, and they're saying, (laughs) Rick, move up to go get Adrian Peterson. And I was saying, you know, Mark and Ziggy, with all due respect, let me just sit here and see if he falls to us. And I'm acting all cool and calm and everything, and my stomach is about ready to throw up. (laughs) Please have this guy fall to us. So we're going down through the draft, uh, and then you can see uh, right after uh, – oh, we were number seven that year. Good yeah. good graphic. Okay, so number six, the Redskins were at number six. And we had teams calling, and this is part of the draft strategy is to understand where other teams' needs are in the draft. So you have to follow what they did in free agency. You have to follow if they traded for anybody. So I was talking to a particular team about potentially moving up, and I won't I won't mention them. And I talked to their general manager, and they say, we're going to take your guy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, I don't think they're going to take a running back. They don't know that Adrian Peterson's our guy. And I says, no, we're just going to sit there and hold. And then I oh, Rick, let, me, let me actually check real quick. So he didn't know who your guy was. He thought he knew who your guy was. He was trying to bluff it. Yeah. Yeah. They thought we knew because there was some lot of rumors out there. We spent a lot of time with a safety from LSU that year. Yeah. LeBron Landry. All right. So um, there was, so I hang up the phone and there's maybe five minutes left to go before we're getting ready to pick. And uh, I got the ownership just staring at me. Trade, make the trade. And I said, no, I'm going to sit here and just kind of see what happens. And like I said, it's just like that's what makes the draft so exciting because you don't know what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. So I called another team back, and I said, um, we're, we're just going to stick and hold where, where we're at. Then that team called me back with about three minutes left to go in the draft and said, hey, there's another team that's going to move up to take your guy. And we're going to make that trade. And I said, who's that other team? And when that person that I was talking to said it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, I hung up the phone and I said, no, we're just going to sit and take our guy. So I have the ownership looking at me. Why didn't you make that trade? Well, Jacksonville at the time had a pretty good running back down there. Um, a little short guy from LSU, if you remember who I'm talking about. And so we sat there. Uh, the Redskins end up taking Landry, and then that's how Adrian Peterson eventually fell to us. All right, Rick, that's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I had to make a quick little pit stop there. Um, so I wanted to ask you about this. So Adrian Peterson was there. Marshawn Lynch ended up going 12th, another running back. You mentioned there's some DBs you're interested in. We talked about Leron Landry. Daryl Rivas was there. Any of those guys on the radar as potential? Oh, yeah. We talked about all those guys, but we knew we were honed in on Adrian Peterson, and that was the decision. It may not have been an immediate need, but do you pass up on someone who you feel, your scouts and your coaches feel, is going to be a generational-type player? And he ended up changing our franchise 
and uh, will probably eventually be in the Hall of Fame one day. So this is going to be a silly question, but probably one of the best picks you've ever made? I would say we as an organization. Right. Never yeah. me. I take responsibility if we fail on a pick. If we hit on a pick, it's the organization that did it. It's the scouts. It's the coaches. Because there's a lot of people that put a lot of work into this. That's why you're. That's why you're who you are. <laughs> Very magnanimous. <laughs> but I can tell you that I am sure in the heck taking that little corner from Utah Phillips over your guy Brent's at. Uh, We're gonna be talking Kansas about State. this. We're gonna be talking about this until the, until the late fall. Uh, I love it. I love it. So at no point th there was no. It was Adrian Peterson or bus at that point, and it, it took about three point five seconds. <laughs> the the longest it took was to write Adrian Peterson on the draft card. And th this is an important lesson too for people listening, and even me. You know this lesson already. I mean, Jamarcus Russell was went first overall, and. Clearly, that didn't work out. Calvin Johnson went second overall. That worked out, and then some. You just don't know. Joe Thomas is going to be a Hall of Famer. He went third. Uh, Levi Brown, in retrospect, I'm guessing the Cardinals would have taken him. Washington probably wouldn't have taken LeBron Landry, uh, given how things worked out as you look at the draft board. And um, it, it's just one of those reminders, and you have them every year, that you, just, you don't know. Like, you have no idea. You take risks on some players based on what they do on the field, disregarding the off-the-field stuff. Sometimes you think players are going to grow into roles. And they don't necessarily do that. And Adrian Peterson, collarbone or not, felt like like a pick you make and you feel like you go to sleep at night and not worry about getting fired the next day. Yeah, because we got him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is a wrap for episode two. I love it. Um, please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Give a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. If you hate it, tell an enemy. Whatever you do, just tell somebody. Rick, thank you again for making fun of me. Happy birthday to you, my man. Debo, thanks for producing, and we'll see you guys next week. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs>